Greetings and welcome to SlayerFest 98. I am your host, Michael Verratti, and this is... Ian Carlos Crawford. And today we are joined by two Scoobies. First up is Jack of All Trades and Master of None. Latoya Ferguson, hello. And we're also joined by comedian, writer, and Halloween enthusiast. Hi, Ryan Houlihan. Yay! And Ryan, this is officially your... Uh, third episode, so you now you're a Scooby. Um, Latoya and Michael, you guys have been there for a minute. I have as many appearances as Ethan Rain. <laughs> <laughs> Topical. <laughs> Today we're here to discuss all three of the Buffy Halloween episodes because it's Halloween-ish time. So of course we have Michael Verratti hosting um, as the resident Halloween expert. Michael, would you like to start us off? Yeah, it's so weird to be hosting someone else's show. Like, I feel like <laughs> I feel like that episode of, like, Empty Nest where the Golden Girls stopped by because of the hurricane. Like, I don't know. Is that, like, too deep a reference? I always forget uh, or those just... were in the same universe. Yeah. I mean, there was also a third show that uh, was part of the hurricane crossover called Nurses that no one ever talks about. But also, uh, all three of them were affected by that single moment of television. <laughs> That's devastating. That is a devastating uh, natural disaster that occurred, obviously. This is like um, Superstar. Clearly. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, Halloween is definitely my time of year. uh, And I am so excited to talk about the Buffy Halloween episodes, because when you talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer sort of as a series on mass, it it hits kind of a lot of uh, of marks when uh, discussing just horror and horror representation and social commentary in general. Like throughout the series, Joss and company uh, utilize Buffy's sense of otherness and the otherness of the world that she lives in to uh, layer commentary. And I mean, it has been well remarked upon by many scholars greater than I. But uh, you know, this is something that I do weekly and uh, throughout my career is talk about the inherent social commentary built into genre material. And there's something really special about it not only being sort of like what Buffy does as a mission statement, but then to see it uh, doubly enacted in Halloween, because Halloween is all about identity and how we choose to present and ho- or how we choose to hide. And I think both of these episodes... Well, all three of these episodes, rather, uh, kind of dig into that. And I guess probably uh, just we should dig in uh, with the season two, episode six, Halloween, because that's the Halloween episode that that started us all off. Yeah. And also you you just like that made sense why I made you the the official host of this episode, because you just said smarter things and I will say the rest of the episode. (laughs) Um, It's all downhill from here. (laughs) So Latoya, Ryan, you both better pick it up because I got nothing smart to say. (laughs) <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um yeah, I love this episode. Uh it's weird because it's it's definitely the most dated, I think, of the three. Um cuz we do a lot of like lifting for the first like 20 minutes before we get into like the actual like Halloweeny parts, right? Mhm. Um you know, we get like I forgot that Angel and Buffy still weren't really dating. I was like Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's wearing, Drink like, whenever ass- Ian mentions that Buffy and Angel weren't really dating. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Angel's also wearing a weird pastel shirt, which is weird. Um, is this where he also wears a weird jacket? No, but that is in another episode where he's with Cordelia and they find like a dead body in like a garbage can, I think. Oh, yes. Uh, Frankenstein episode. Right, right, right. I, 
No, not I Was Made to Love You. Right? <laughs> Season 5. That's the episode you were on for. Shit, I forgot. Some assembly required. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Lord. God, we're experts. <laughs> it's nice seeing Cordelia. It's been a while since I actually got to discuss an episode with her in it. I like her. His loss, your incredible gain when she sits down at his table. Then- yeah, it's beautiful foreshadowing because they do actually have so much chemistry. Right. And I was like, like watching it, I was thinking to myself, like, I have to put some Angel episodes on. <laughs> yes. I mean, honestly, I I know for a lot of people, Angel and Buffy are the OTP of this series. I know they're the Spike enthusiasts as well. And I've always preferred the Angel-Buffy pairing because I I just love some some dark gothic drama, which they, 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 of course, engender just based on the situation. But I've always loved Angel and Cordelia. I just I love it because she evolves so much to be someone that makes sense for him. And he does, too. And I, I love that the seeds were sown as far back as this. When she's dressed in a Party City cat costume. (laughs) I I enjoy that Cordelia is such a foil for him because Buffy and Angel are like very, obviously on the spectrum of supernatural beings, they're opposites. She's supposed to be killing him and that's fun. But personality wise, Cordelia is is able to like really lighten Angel up Mm -hmm. and call him on his stuff. And it's just fun to watch her be like, and I was like, my Barbie dream car has a better interior. Like Angel would (laughs) never have that conversation. It's really fun to watch him like thrown in the deep end with her. Yeah, I love the scene because like she's genuinely, like he's genuinely laughing at her story it's not like he's just like why am i stuck with this girl he genuinely finds her amusing which is actually sweet so of course buffy gets jealous because she sees what's going on angel corner my otp I'll, I'll admit it oh i love that and i think this also shows early on the genius of the writing team of the show because uh, it would have been so easy in this era of WB teen comedy that Cordelia would always be that kind of like rich bitch, mean Regina George kind of character and be one dimensional the entire series that occasionally just gets thrown in on adventures. And they very early, I think as far back as Invisible Girl in season one, were like, yeah, she's the popular girl and she's a pain in the ass, but she has dimensions that like even the main characters, while vexed by her occasionally, enjoy. And I, I, I think that that was just so great that they kind of created the popular girl trope that was someone we ended up liking. Yeah. I also think it's sort of interesting that um, Cordelia is a little fascinated with Angel and playing with him, and we get a little taste of their chemistry at the exact same time that Buffy is being videotaped and watched by Spike. And a lot of the like OTP, uh, <laughs> Cordy, Angel, Spike, Buffy... Um, stuff is in there so early on like you can tell Spike actually really has a weird thing for her and you can tell that Cordy and Angel actually have chemistry which it probably was partly a happy accident but also like those actors have so much chemistry and those characters fit together so well that it was already a sort of um, instinct yeah uh, yes uh, basically good on the show for having a very talented cast that <laughs> it, honestly they really kind of set the, the seeds for both pairings in a way as accidentally as it was yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, this whole episode is sort of like littered with all of that. Like, there's a ton of foreshadowing in this episode. I mean, you've got like, not to jump ahead, but you've got the Oz Willow stuff. You've got the like Xander Cordelia stuff, even when like he's like, you can't break those two up. Don't even try. Like, that yeah. little moment between the two of them where like they have chemistry. Like, there's so much there. I just expected like Anya's little head to pop up in the background for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget about Larry. I forget he's like also in season two. We have him bullying Xander. So, like, the the Xander plot in this episode, right, is that, oh, you saved me from the bully. I look like, quote-unquote, lesser of a man or some bullshit. I do, Which is fun, because Larry is a gay icon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do love that, you know, Willow, like, I don't know, the way Xander and Buffy handle it, like, Buffy feels not quite fully formed yet, because I feel like season three and, like, 
moving forward, Buffy would have been like, Xander, give me a break. I mean, they always coddle him a little bit, but I feel like she wouldn't have, she would have been like, whatever. Um, but I like that Willow's like, men are so fragile. Like that's, she just casually says that they keep moving when they're talking about Xander. Um, a lot of this episode, I don't know that maybe it's because it's so early on and like the show had just become what it was going to be um, post the first season. Uh, a lot of this episode has some stuff that I think is a little out of character. Um, yes. Though even the like later when we get to it, like Buffy pushing Willow to like dress sexily or Buffy wanting to be a quote unquote real girl by being like helpless, like stuff like that. Uh, it doesn't ring true to me to the larger character. And maybe also it might just be a function of the fact that in this episode, they're all 16 or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. The Buffy Willow dynamic is still like very early Buffy Willow. Like it's, you know, seize the day uh, Buffy Willow right. uh, as she's pushing her to be sexy. And Hey, Good on her because Allison Hannigan, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Body be banging. I literally wrote my notes four times. Body be banging. Who knew? Well, I do think I, I think that a good point is raised here, too, that uh, it is smart that they're teenagers. They're still finding themselves. So we in these seasons can can have a little bit of fluctuation in their personalities before they're fully established. Later. However, I do think, and uh, Ian can really attest to this as I bring it up every single time I'm on the show, uh, I, I have a real issue with Xander and I've always had an issue with Xander. I think of all the characters in the Buffy verse, he is the worst. Uh, and this episode for me is like one of the beginnings where like a good cruck, a good portion of this episode is structured around reaffirming Xander's like masculine assertiveness. Like he like you. Oh no, you. I now they think I'm a wimp because a girl saved me, and then he has to become a military person so like he can save face. It's just so like. I mean, and then you later have the Angel thing where Angel says, like, all the girls in his time that Buffy dresses as are, we're like simpering morons. And then I was like, a man wrote this episode. And I looked it up and a man did write this episode. There's a <laughs> lot of, like, toxic masculinity running through this, um, most embodied in um, Xander. I also have a quick note I want to say before we move on from this small scene. Um, this is very important information. The uh, soda machine, first off, sodas cost 60 cents at their high school, which is crazy. And <laughs> wow. number one, number two, there was no Diet Dr. Pepper on offer in the machine. So the one that specially popped out, don't understand where that came from. Public um, school, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, next to that, I wrote Buffy's uh, hair is very important. So <laughs> I don't know. That was Those are my deep, important educational notes. That <laughs> well, well, first off, it's a vending machine on the Hellmouth, so anything can happen. <laughs> a Shasta twist pops out. They're like, what? That's right. Like a, a tab comes out like <laughs> 20 years after the expiration date. Ghost you soda. You pointed out Angel's like comment about, you know, the simpering morons in his day. But well, as we learn uh, in the future, Angel was no catch in his day, actually. He True. was a, like a drunken asshole. So really, he was the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm. That We always like kind of forget about that, right? Like the show itself kind of forgets about that too sometimes that like he was actually just like a complete dickhead when he w did have a soul. I mean, even yeah, when he does get a soul, even in these seasons, he's a little bit of a dickhead. Like you never, you don't until like on the angel spinoff fully, when he learns some lessons, like Doyle dies and stuff, you don't really get angel. Like he doesn't always necessarily rise to the occasion, um, which is an interesting thing because even though he's 200 years old or whatever, and it's a very inappropriate relationship that he's having with Buffy, which is also heavily highlighted in this episode. Um, he doesn't really grow up until he is forced to take responsibility for other people and not just his own, like, I feel guilty stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that comes through really strongly in this episode. 
Yeah, I would. I yeah, I agree with that. Um, so then we get the bathroom scene, which I it was that's where I felt the most like this doesn't feel like the Buffy we love who's fully formed in season three, but. Mm-hmm. The Willow comebacks really are what, like, I think save it. Because Willow's like, well, I'd still prefer being able to vote. Like, I like her just, like, that's her response to Buffy, like, being self-conscious and wanting to be, like, a regular girl or whatever. Um, And then the scene really picks up for me when Cordelia walks in, because I just love it. Yeah, because Cordelia's like a fucking shot of lightning. She's an electrical (laughs) storm walking into every scene she's amazing um i also will say in this scene i felt very much i was getting shades of Anne from uh from the premiere of season three um just a buffy who's giving in to her worst impulses which is just to be nothing and um pretty and to like take the easiest route and um so i actually think it makes for a nice character development moment because you are setting up her inability to um, deal with Angel being evil after they have sex. Like you, you get a great moment, and uh, yeah, Cordelia coming in and just being like, "When it comes to dating, I'm the slayer." Like, bitch, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no right. slut shaming there. She's on her fifth man for the year or whatever. Yeah. She's chewing through bandmates. Like, great work, lady. Yeah. Also, work. when it, it comes to dating, you're like you're hung up on Devin right now. Calm down, Cordelia. <laughs> Yo, but Devin is hot. Devin is hot. <laughs> Devin is hot. He wore like midriffs before it was yeah, like. He, he like went through a crisis like in season three and four. <laughs> like he dressed like an 80s horror movie teen, but like in the late 90s when it wasn't yeah, like in style. Cool. And I love it. And dressing as an 80s teen from a horror movie is a forever aesthetic in my book. I'm all for it. <laughs> so then you already said it, Ryan. I Her saying when it comes to dating, I'm the Slayer is just so good. Uh, and I forgot, I actually forgot that that line was in this episode. Because, like, I feel like that's a really iconic Cordelia line. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get, and I do actually like the Spike and Drusilla scene. And she's just, like, being very Drusilla. She's like, do you love me and my insides and his eyeballs to entrails line? I think that's really, like, oddly That's a sweet. panty dropper. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm always expressing my, like, problematic I-want-to-sleep-with-spike opinions on my podcast, and everyone's like, Ian, he's a problem, and I'm like, well, you're right, but... I feel like we can all support it when it's Spike Drusilla specifically, because that's that's just the thing. Right? Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, like, honestly, who hasn't had, like, that visceral sexual crush where, like, these people clearly do not understand each other on any level but physical, and I still support it. <laughs> I hope that's what everyone gets for Halloween this year, honestly. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that. I hope I get Look, that too. You, I really hope you, I get that too. You you invited me into your home. This is what you get. <laughs> I um, hope Jack Skellington comes down my chimney and delivers <laughs> Spike to me. <laughs> um, yeah, so then we get the Halloween shop scene, which, you know, for me that... It, I mean, they're so low budget still at this point, right? Like, it feels like it's, like, shot in, like, the corner of one of their warehouses. I'm going to be honest with you. It was clearly shot in the costume department, like, warehouse. Like, I've worked (laughs) in television. That is exactly what it looks like. They just threw out a few of their monster masks they already had. They went to Party (laughs) City or whatever and picked up some bags. And they were like, we could do this in a day. And we don't have to location scout. And I support that choice. If I was on a low-budget show, like, fuck yes. (laughs) I, I miss I miss like really low budget Buffy, especially like they never turned on the lights. That's yeah. the good stuff. <laughs> they never turn on the lights ever. <laughs> yeah, this is pre LEDs, so I could see them trying to cut their power usage when they're in a back alley or whatever. Um, I did like that um, 
Xander cheaps out and only buys the gun and that that was already powerful enough to transform him into an army man. You know, I thought about that this time around. Um, Michael, I'd like to hear your... I was like, wait a minute. What if he dropped that gun? Shouldn't that make him not be in costume anymore? Because, like, he only bought the gun. This episode, by the way, in this stupid army-like conceit, (laughs) is, like, the one duex machina of the whole goddamn series. Because ever since this episode, for, like, nine... Like, for, you know, the next five seasons, anytime (laughs) anything comes up that they need to quickly explain away, Xander's like, well, from the time that I had military knowledge, bitch, you were in the army for one fake night. Like, this is like, it's, he, people take years. Clearly members of the initiative is like, well-informed as Xander in costume for like three hours on October 31st. So everything about the conceit of Xander becoming super military man is so goddamn nonsense that, you know what, sure, sure. He's got a magic cap gun. <laughs> It made me really think, like, if someone was dressed as, like, uh, a wizard or a demon or whatever, did they walk away with expert abilities in magical, like, expert oh, magical knowledge or demonology? Like, yeah, are, are there some children who will full-on know, like, the rules of demonology <laughs> and the history of demons running around? And, like, does Willow know about the, like, Willow should know about the afterlife if she was a ghost. A ghost. Right? Yeah. yeah. It only ever seems to affect Xander in the long run of the show, but, like... Because Buffy becomes this sort of like weak woman for like one night, does she like crave pumpkin spice lattes every <laughs> October? Like what, she's what happens? At, I gotta... She's great at polishing silver and ordering around the help. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, yeah it right like because I mean technically, if Willow did know about ghosts, that would probably like help them in, at some point, right? That could have been like a... This would have helped with Terra tremendously yeah. if you know about this shit. I mean, if this is a spell we could just be doing all the time, why don't they just dress Xander up as Superman whenever they're in a pinch and like <laughs> activate the chaos god or whatever? Um, I also was wondering, are there little kids who... Okay, so I will say uh, for all of these episodes when we're in Halloween scenes, except for one moment in the last episode, which I will bring up when we get there, but they're all um, non-trademarked costumes because they couldn't get the rights to popular characters. Mm-hmm. Like there's no SpongeBob running around, but are there kids dressed up as Batman? And was Batman like solving crimes around Sunnydale <laughs> while all of this was going on? They're like, like, I like sure hope just so. murdering villains. <laughs> <laughs> and Ethan is a powerful wizard or whatever, because that is quite a spell he pulled off and his latin you was know, very good honestly i have to say this about that this episode introduces ethan rain and i think that uh you know when we talk about the seasons of buffy we uh, every season of course has a big bad but like there are kind of like a string of like medium bads throughout the show that you know they don't quite claim the top status but they're sort of secondary antagonists who appear more than once and he is one of the better ones because his mm-hmm. past is tied to giles he does this thing of shakes the identities of the kids uh, a little bit uh and has lasting effect and to me that makes him kind of like a better villain than you know a double meat palace or something you know? yeah i would have thought he would have had more appearances um a la harmony like he was so good and we really could yeah. have gotten into some like is did Giles and him hook up territory, which is a, a long section of my notes. Don't we um, all agree that they did? Like, come on. They definitely did. I mean, they were in that sex cult that was mostly men. So yeah. mm, uptight occult British sex, like ready for it. Let's go. Wait, sure that fan fiction exists. But it wasn't isn't that called up- The Discovery of Witches? And isn't that a TV show that's out right now? <laughs> yes. Um, I need to catch up. But it wasn't uh, uptight British sex. It was like punk coven British sex. Like, you saw Giles as Still a teen. into it. Yeah, I mean, that makes me more into it, of course. Look at me, I'm a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I have my septum pierced, I'm different. 
<laughs> Ooh, she's different. <laughs> I love you, Trixie. <laughs> so anyway, um, where the hell were we in the episode? I don't even remember at this point. <laughs> they were at the Halloween store. They right. picked up their costumes. They were in the costume department. Um, talking about all the children who must be traumatized after they turn into their costumes. <laughs> right. Oh. Someone definitely like dressed up as Patrick Bateman, right? <laughs> <laughs> And the poor kid whose parents made them dress as like the California raisin or whatever, like that was a tough <laughs> night. <laughs> what a bad night they had. I will say I love the idea of this episode. I don't yes. know that it's the best ex- executed of the Halloween episodes. It, it obviously isn't because fear itself is uh, masterful, but it is episode. a wonderful idea for an episode. And if uh, when the Buffy reboot comes around, like that's one of the ones I'll be okay if they straight up jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, think about it. This is what, what did you say, Michael? Number six in season two, episode six? Yeah, episode six. They're still really early on. And I feel like a lot of the, I don't feel like season two quite picks up till we get to Kendra, which is the episode you were on for, Ryan. Um, yes. That's I think why that... it's one of my favorites. And I got so much blowback, but I was like, Kendra really kicks this show in the ass because it defines who Buffy is, you know? Right. And it like changes the weird. rules. It's kind of weird that the episodes before this are like Inca Mummy Girl, Reptile Boy, which everyone, you know, like, uh, Give shit, but then like the next episodes lie to me, and then from that point on, it's just like, yeah, let's just make everything dark and also bad eggs, which is great. But you know, people hit on bad eggs because they have problems. So, <laughs> well, I do think up until this point in the show, because uh, for a lot of the the pop culture zeitgeist at the time, people still very much associated Buffy with the movie. Like it hadn't right. quite gotten yeah. that traction that it had yet, and so like I can literally see both, you know, Joss trying to like shape the world and move it towards what he wanted it to be. And just having worked in TV myself, kind of like the network mandate of, well, let's have her just kind of deal with traditional monsters. So like there's, there is this look of the first season into like the first half of the second season where a lot of these episodes kind of mirror classic horror movies or tropes from classic horror movies, even this one to a degree, uh, although kind of uh, tonally different, the idea that your Halloween costume, uh, can overtake you is is sort of uh, a tip of the hat to Halloween three season of the witch. Uh, also very... goosebumps. Also goosebumps. Also goosebumps. <laughs> yes. Never forget uh, goosebumps. So like, Come on. Yeah. So I mean, there there's a little bit of 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 that here, but of course it gets Buffy fied, so it it adds to their identities, which I think is probably what began to early on set this show apart. I remember watching this episode and thinking, I, I loved the show. I loved the show, but I also loved like Charmed or like Dark Angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I'm not saying I didn't think already that this show was a cut above those things. But I do think this was the point at which I thought like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like this was one of those ones that they executed with so much tongue in cheek, so many uh, going places. This episode goes to and does things that uh, it zags when I thought it was going to zig kind of a thing. Like the reveal that like Giles has a dark past and it's not even really explained is so different. And um and that this has so many far-reaching consequences later in later episodes and stuff. I, I I remember this clicking for me. I remember watching this episode and like there's only a few episodes that I remember when I saw them. It was like this, hush, once more with feeling. And I, I don't even know that it's so perfectly executed, but the idea is so strong and it really captured my imagination in a way that I earlier episodes those were all great, but this was the first one that really I was like, oh my god, like I want to live in this universe, you know? <laughs> one of the things I like drew me to Buffy, it was just always the dialogue. Uh, and this episode specifically, again, like Cordelia is just the, my, the best character, where it, it's like when Oz says, Cordelia, you're like a big cat. And she's just like, that's I was just my costume. Say. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Or when 
when uh, olden Buffy is freaking out because Angel is a vampire, and and Cordelia's just so upset, she's like, she has this thing where she thinks you're, and then she just trails off. Yeah, <laughs> I see. I I actually put that in my notes that like. So, I mean, I know this isn't, like, a new, uh, like, comparison, but, like, Buffy very much is, like, the X-Men, and for me, this feels like an issue of X-Men or, like, of the, an episode of the X-Men cartoon that I would have loved where, like, Professor X, Cyclops, and Storm are, like, all kidnapped or sidelined for some reason, or, like, they're doing a mission somewhere else, and, like, Gambit and, like, Jubilee and Rogue and Wolverine mm-hmm. are, like, the main characters of the episode, um, I always like when someone who isn't normally in charge is put in charge. Oh, yeah, the best characters and then Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? And, like, for me, like, Cordelia and Willow, this is their episode, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. this is the first time when Willow, like, saves the day, which yeah. is so funny that we're about to talk about Fear Itself, where she says, like, I'm not your sidekick. <laughs> like, Willow saves the day with an inability to even touch things. Like, yeah. that is power. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they all turn into their costumes. Ethan Rain does the spell. Except for Cordelia, because she was smart enough to buy not off the rack. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> Cordelia went somewhere classier. Um, she went. She went to Party City. It's like literally mentioned. She went to Party City. She, she doesn't say to Party a... City. She says like <laughs> Party Shop or something. You don't know. That could be very high end. She's no. Um. She's no. She's not going back to Party City where she belongs. I'm not here for that. <laughs> okay, but her costume is straight up like I'm a mouse duck, Karen. Moment. Yeah, it is. So, it is. Yeah. Like, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. Cordelia and Oz scene like Cordelia has all these great scenes and I actually like when Cordelia has to be paired with someone like Oz or like Giles or even like Willow because right like Buffy and her can kind of like match each other's shittiness um Mm -hmm. and like Oz and Giles just like don't really live in her world uh so they're just kind of like okay to like most things she says and um, you see a lot of that exasperation just in season two alone between like Cordelia and Oz and Cordelia and Willow yeah then yeah and I, I, I love that. So for me, yeah, and I, oh, and I wanted to point out, I thought, like, Xander does look pretty good, though, right? Oh, yes, he looks great. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. But, like, his, Xander's peak was, if not the uh, swimsuit Speedo uh, episode, um, the episode where everyone in the town is in love with him and he gets a little, like, mini makeover. <laughs> that was, like, pretty, like, I was like, he's looking pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Meanwhile, I'm still over here just grumpy. I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> like I don't know why my hate for this character runs so deep, but it has since like 1997. I can't let it go. Like because I think I think he's so like patently terrible to everybody. It uh, it just I don't know. When, you want to be in the alternate universe where Jesse is the third member of the. <laughs> you've got to admit, Nicholas Brennan was really hot in season two and three. And season five. <laughs> like, yeah, I guess, you know, because, like, I think of Nicholas Brendan in, like, Psycho Beach Party, and he's peak adorable there, so I'll take that, so. Oh, definitely. yeah, and I think that, that came out, like, around season three, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had, yeah. Because he was, like, the, the big star of the movie, and you've got, like, Amy Adams and yeah. Lauren Ambrose and, like, you know, all of these people. <laughs> well, like, in the promotional, like, uh, WB Backlots things for Buffy, it was like always, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Nicholas Brendan. They were the leads. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, David Brown is obviously got the spinoff off of that. <laughs> Meanwhile, Allison Hannigan is out here making bang in the real <laughs> yeah, world. Yeah, she's a real movie star. She wasn't going to be doing Oh, What a Night. <laughs> I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar, they had to use footage from Buffy for that. So, like, Allison Hannigan definitely wasn't going to be doing that. Wait, 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 what? I... You know in the WB Oh, What a Night video, right? 
No. Uh, y- wait, you, you don't, you know, don't know that promo video? <laughs> My promo that I post like every week. <laughs> I love that promo. <laughs> Where all of your favorite WB stars are dancing together, except for Sarah Michelle Gellar and Carrie Russell, because they're like, just use footage from Buffy and Felicity. <laughs> well, well, remember, Carrie Russell was like definitely on probation after the great haircutting incident. Oh, yeah, because that was like postseason two. <laughs> so that's what right. they use. <laughs> um, I mean, all I, the only thing I specifically remember is that like Entertainment Weekly photo shoot. I'm gonna have to like just. I'm gonna tweet this at you right now. Go ahead. Yeah, I remember the like photo shoot of like all the WB ladies, and I remember being bummed that Willow wasn't. And it is weird that Allison Hannigan isn't in the photo shoot. I, I have that photo shoot framed up on like my mantle right in my living room. Oh my god, I love that. Little they continued <laughs> yeah. to underestimate her. Meanwhile, they're giving Shannon Doherty everything she wants, and she's about to walk out with the with the with the uh, copper yeah. piping from the charm house. <laughs> I think it was basically Alison Hannigan was a movie star and they did what they could, what she would allow them to do. Mm. Well, because I don't think she became a, like, I think, I think you're right though. I think they underestimated her. I mean, her acting is just, this show showcases what a good actor she is, I think. Uh, I mean, her and Charisma Carpenter are on the level of like Sarah Michelle Gellar of performances that they give over the course of like the Buffy Angel universe. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like they were uh, like the WB was all behind Eliza Dushku because she had like bring it on yeah. like attention. It just is interesting to me. But before we move on from the charisma carpenter of it all, I want to say <laughs> I love that little scene between her and Oz where she's like, uh, don't tell me you saw me. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Or what she's you want like, me to tell him? Nothing. Duh. <laughs> nothing. Duh. Like he's such a good foil for her um, self-consciousness because he doesn't give a shit, which yeah. is like a really fun character for her to yeah. pair, be heard with. Um. Yeah, so they turn in. So Ethan Rain does a spell. We'll do. We'll jump to there. Ethan Rain does a spell. They all turn in their costumes. Um, Willow dies, which we never bring up again. Right. Like, literally, <laughs> her and Buffy have been dead the same amount of time. But Buffy <laughs> talks about it all the time. Buffy talks about dying like she's Batman <laughs> and her parents are dead. Like she brings it up constantly. Meanwhile, Willow's like low key, like yeah, I saw the light. I went toward that. Like whatever. Oh wait, I'm about to blow the lid off this whole fucking thing. Uh oh. Because <laughs> if. Xander can maintain military memory from this one night of Halloween by being a military man. This ipso facto means that Willow actually was dead for a few hours. So couldn't technically the first also have portrayed itself as Willow? What <gasps> if it was- I never thought about that. Huh. I was just sitting here thinking, I was like, oh my god, what if everything we have been led to believe about season seven is a lie? Willow was a Fan <laughs> theory, Willow did that chosen spell as a long game by the first. It's <laughs> <laughs> the Buffy comic I want. <laughs> I also... But body be banging, but body be banging. I, but right? Banging. It's very oh. like, she's all that. Like, oh, we took off our sunglasses. We took off her glasses. She's not a nerd. And she has abs now. Yeah, yeah what did... Buffy dress her ass. What are we saying it was? Like, I get it that Buffy was trying to do, like, oh, quote-unquote sexy, but... Why be banging? Yeah, that's that's a costume, Buffy banging. <laughs> <laughs> she was one of, um, she was, uh, she was, as Anya would say, a very special kind of angel. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so that's, like, a weird thing. I like that they just, like, very quickly are, like, they're all on the same street. Buffy's house is right there. Like for a town the size of Sunnydale, they were all in like on Ravello Drive, which yeah. like great. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure, I fine. Sunnydale <laughs> technically only has like three streets, despite how big it actually is. True. Well, well I mean, sure. how much of it has to be graveyards? 
<laughs> it's true. It, well, it's a show also that grows. Uh, it, it's a town that grows as the budget of the show grows. Yeah. Uh, which is really like all of a sudden there's just like, ah, oh, yes, the abandoned warehouse district or whatever. I'm like, where? When? When did that happen? Remember the like, college university we've never had to step foot on? There has never been a magical problem at the college. <laughs> well, yeah. And the, and the other fact that it's like, you're telling me, like, anybody who lives in California knows that the smaller towns tend to be very niche and they keep to themselves. What commerce and business is like a magic shop getting in Sunnydale that they are able to stay open for all those seasons? Like, I just like, that's what always fascinates me. Uh, we've seen three streets and like four citizens. <laughs> who, who, who? We're in the magic shop in season six. I thought the whole time, like selling this much like powerful magical stuff. Um, on Halloween seems like poor planning on the part of the people trying to suppress supernatural like oh God, do they have magic control laws in Sunnydale because they should there needs to be a background check that really right. needs to happen what's the tax situation on this like do you tax magical items it, it, what if they're necessary does it take EBT I'm very confused this is the nerdiest Buffy podcast of all time <laughs> uh. Uh, well, well, welcome to your podcast, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> My podcast. Um, yeah, so we get a couple of good lines. Uh, Willow's just like, I love Willow taking charge, because I think this is like the first time she's taken charge. Um, you know, she's, I appreciate her and Cordelia are the only ones like completely coherent. Also, Angel is, but he's like definitely not picking it up. As the leader, and like useless, yeah, and useless. <laughs> um, you know, Willow has the cool line of she couldn't have dressed up like Xena, and I love that, that was fun. I love the idea of Willow watching Xena, makes me happy. And then I like Cordelia coming in, um, and I it's so quick, but I love it that like her and Willow are like conversing about what's going on, and then. I forget what Buffy says as her, like, Victorian lady self. And she's just like, oh, no, I would never do that. I'm a lady. And Cordelia's like, what's her that accent. riff? <laughs> yeah, her accent was, like, that was rough stuff. Uh, mm. I'll say that. She's no Renee Zellweger. Uh, and two, she did a wig under wig reveal with a worse wig under the first wig. She was wearing, she's the worst drag queen because she was wearing a clearly, like, a $700 like wigs by vanity wig pulled it off to this like shake and go mess that she got at the bodega <laughs> and ran around in that but it was very that was tough stuff all i could think was like cordelia must be looking at her hair like let me fix this <laughs> <laughs> that was a great tangent <laughs> it was <laughs> um are we just none of us gonna pick up the fact that willow is an avid watcher of xena and Right. You know. I, mean, right. I was going to say it, but you picked it up. Yeah, I was, I was thinking Ryan would be the one to say it. I was thinking, and I do have in my notes, Buffy doesn't would never dress as Xena because all of that hits too close to home. She <laughs> said several times, it's come as you aren't, Knight. So, like, also, overall, <laughs> having rewatched these episodes, I did think to myself several times, they have to have better contingency plans and, like, um, what's the word? Like, a non-active weapons? Like, why don't they have, why doesn't Buffy have, like, water balloons filled with holy water or like um why didn't she wear an outfit where she was just made out of uh, crucifixes for halloween do you know what i mean like <laughs> i thought 
several times like we got to step up the just in case puppy is out of her mind or like incapacitated what's our go-to uh <laughs> contingency plan because it does happen several times and around the fifth time where you have no identity or you forgot everything or like you were an 17th 18th century woman you've got to have some like backup like unlimited crossbow like just keeps reshooting filling itself or something you know giles is like nothing bad happens on halloween god damn it giles something bad happens on halloween all the time <laughs> exactly and if if the if the crew doesn't mind i think honestly this is a great way to transition into the next Halloween episode. We can like obviously wrap up the fact that they get their costumes, that the spell is broken, blah, blah, blah. But they should have learned their lesson this Halloween. Right. And then we fast forward to the next Halloween episode, which, which it is season four's uh, fear itself, right? Yes. yes. And they vaguely do, but like they don't learn a they don't learn a broader lesson. They learn a very specific lesson. It's like, ooh, we might turn in our costume. So that's the only takeaway from this. <laughs> well, like, that's it. <laughs> I will say two things. One, was there no Halloween during senior year that they would have had this conversation? First off, and second, I will say the first two Halloweens and a little bit the last Halloween that we see, it's always human beings making occults horrible things happen because they're messing around for one night with stuff. And like, that is a real danger. Like, it, especially when they're running the magic box, they should have, they should have background checks. This should all really be on lockdown because like, this is the night when people make, uh, you know, magical nonsense. And uh, I, I, I guess it's sort of interesting that like Ethan came in with a plan, but when we get into fear itself, like that's just frat boy idiots copying down. Like that's got to happen all the time, especially around Halloween. Absolutely. I don't know. That's the Black Power Ranger fucking shit up for everyone. I will say he was amazing. Side note: How did Amy Jo Johnson never get an arc on Buffy? She was on Felicity, and as well, also selling her folk albums at the time. Yeah. If you recall. <laughs> but I do uh, want to briefly pop in before we dig into Fear itself. You mentioned that there's no Halloween episode in season three, which I feel is a great denial of the audience because who didn't want to celebrate Halloween with Faith? I, I feel what like that would Faith be would the at? most fun. Oh my god! I think no, no, here... Faith, Faith would do boy drag like Joe Calderon. Faith would absolutely do boy drag. Ooh, and I bet it, I bet like, I would be very into it. Like a Halloween episode with Faith would be like too hot for TV. They couldn't air that. <laughs> That's Ooh, aired on well. Showtime or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's exactly then what we're talking about. The idea that even though based on what Giles tells us in Halloween, that this, this is the night that things usually are at their calmest with demonic and supernatural activity. They then go through this great ordeal in season two that proves that like, maybe you shouldn't be right. completely at rest. So now their first year in college, which of course for anyone who's been to college knows that Halloween gets crazy, they should be fucking ready, but they're not. <laughs> And I mean, this... even just for the scenario of Buffy giving people safety rides home because, like, <laughs> vampires are just going to pick off drunk college co-eds, like, that is a real danger. There's children running around a town filled with the most dangerous creatures on Earth. Like, Buffy should be leading those trick-or-treaters every year. <laughs> yeah, like, Giles says that the demons hate how commercial it's got gotten. Like, no, the demons wouldn't care about that. They yeah. would love, like, the easy access to humans to eat. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Come on, Giles. Shut and the up. notion, and the notion too, that like this now hinges. I know, of course, the whole thing throughout the early seasons is Buffy still just wants to be a normal girl, which is of course amplified in Halloween when she tries to dress as as a quote unquote no normal girl. In the the kind of continued like she doesn't want the burden of the Slayer, and in Fear itself, we see 
this sort of manifests in the idea of them just going to a haunted house party. But really, like, after four years, they kind of know what their friend group is. They know who they are. The idea of Buffy, Xander, and Willow being like, let's go to a frat party just seems like, okay. Like, <laughs> you ought to have known this was just going to be trouble, if not even for supernatural reasons, uh, then for the sheer fact that straight white men are often just dangerous. <laughs> like, I mean, literally in the episode, you have um, like a, a, a dollar store version of Dennis from Always Sunny giving a speech about how he's going to trick women guy. into like being scared so that he can have sex with them over and over again. Um, you have, like, first off, they're peeling grapes. That's demonic. I don't know how you <laughs> peel a grape or why you would, but that's demonic. Um, because they're eyeballs. And Oz is friends with these people. I was like, Oz would never be friends with these people. Well, and um, Oz is the catalyst of the episode because yeah. they copied out this whole uh, spell from a book because they thought it looked cool because they're idiot frat guys. But then when Oz like uh, cuts his finger setting up the sound system or however the blood happens, uh, I have three Halloween episodes in my head. So minor details <laughs> are going to escape. Uh, his blood, because it's werewolf blood, is what activates the spell and lets this fear demon out to feed on the fears of everyone. I think fear itself and Halloween act as good kind of foils for one another as far as Halloween specials go, because uh, Halloween is all about hiding your identity, and uh, fear itself is all about facing your identity and like the things that you are most True. afraid of. And so I think in that way, they both speak to the different ways that uh, we engage with Halloween as a celebration, the idea that you're most yourself when you put on a mask, but like part of, you know, the idea that drag queens, uh, when you hear drag queens talk about how they become more animated or more themselves when they're in drag, it's because you get to hide behind a character, but it's also because a little bit you perce perceive that character as being someone other than you, even though it's a hundred percent you. And uh, I think that this is um, kind of a great, follow-up to what happened the last time we saw the gang at Halloween. Uh, and I also think this episode is super special because just as Halloween gave us Xander's long-standing military knowledge that goes throughout the series, once again, Halloween, a Halloween episode gives us a gift that carries out throughout the series because Fear Itself is the episode when Anya first reveals oh, that yeah. she's terrified <gasps> of bunnies. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh my special Anya! Oh, she's so precious in that fucking costume. <laughs> I have I have some important, also important Ryan notes to note for this episode before before we before we move on to like the important themes. Are we ready? These are all very intelligent. Great. Mm -hmm. Number one, Xander said he accidentally got Fantasia instead of Phantasm, but Fantasia is spelled with an F and Phantasm is spelled with a PH, so I don't you believe think, him. You think Xander can spell? Like I I, I, I do believe him. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, Buffy wears a sense. choker at one point that is incredibly powerful and maybe the most powerful magical object we've ever seen <laughs> on the show. Um, Riley tells her not to party because he's like, you party too much and that's oh. why you're like fucking up in class and then tells her, what are you going to do? Your homework? You should go party, which fuck <laughs> you. Um, at one point, Willow runs into a drag queen who is an icon and oh will God, win yes. season 11. <laughs> and there's a dreadlock hat and Giles is culturally appropriative and I don't like any of it. That was yeah, my notes. We don't uh, talk about the Giles one. Um, so real quick, talking about that, talking about the Giles that we're not going to talk about. Um, so they actually made like a variant action figure of Giles in that, you know. Incredible. Yeah. And it was the last Buffy figure I got at Comic-Con. Like I never got it because it was like super rare and expensive. And I was like, I'm not paying 
you know, $70 for our very problematic figure. And then it was at Comic-Con for like 10 bucks in a sale, like sale bin like a few years ago and i was like all right i'm gonna buy this yeah but yeah i mean that was a terrible costume but their other costumes were great i mean the oz god joan of arc thing so fun buffy's got a, a basket full of weapons like incredible I great work that. everybody i also I the oz god won a couple halloweens when i was like really lazy <laughs> oh I, I stole it i stole it in um in high school, I like was like, here we go, and who gets it gets it. But I'm cool or whatever. Ends up not that cool to steal a costume yeah, from a TV we're, show. But we're not as cool as Oz. Oh no. <laughs> um, also, Oz is looking good. Oh Oof. hell yeah. Oof. Seth Green, like season three and four, Oz is just like that. Like oh, if- also. When Giles pulls out that chainsaw, I was like, hi, dad. <laughs> <laughs> I So, yeah, I actually put in my all caps in my notes. I love Willow stopping to talk to the guy in drag. There's also like, right, there's like a mini story going on here where like everyone in her dorm really likes her. And like True. Willow's kind of popular. And Buffy doesn't have any friends. Yeah. Because Buffy's a weirdo and <laughs> Willow thrives. Also, what works for you in high school doesn't work for you in college. Like, if you were popular in high school, guess what? It's all downhill from there. You got to figure your shit out. If you're a weirdo in high school, guess what? College is a perfect place for you. But Willow even says at one point, like college is for experimentation, which I know is a wink wink to her like, <laughs> you know, beautiful beautiful sapphic blooming but (laughs) like it is also a real thing like Buffy's not an experimenter Buffy's instincts are two things to fight which I guess is a little experimentative but not really um experimentative whatever and (laughs) also her instinct has been to be like normal and cool and popular and even though her choker is so powerful like that's (laughs) you know she's she really struggles in college because she was I mean, her two modes of functioning are don't listen to authority, which doesn't work for you in college, and be, like, popular and beautiful, which was her, like, childhood and also isn't going to work for you in college. I, I feel like the college stuff is, because the initiative is so bad, we do, and Riley <laughs> I, is polarizing, we don't really absorb, I do think that, like, seasons four and five is actually really informative about who Buffy is and, like, how these characters function in a larger world outside of just high school. Yeah. Like, Cordelia's ability to go to L.A. to suffer and then flourish is a really interesting telling thing about her you know yeah mm-hmm. well and i think that speaks really to uh, what you're saying uh, speaks really great uh, is a great connector to the themes of this episode too because it, this episode is all about their fears manifesting themselves and it's more than just like a throwaway thing like the idea that for uh xander feeling left out so frequently that comes out so much throughout the series like because when willow becomes a witch and buffy's the slayer he never really quite understands or feels like he fits in and we always see him kind of scrambling to try and find his place and assert himself and that is really uh put on display here because uh of his feelings about feeling left out uh we see oz uh his whole fear of turning into a werewolf in front of willow which eventually manifests and is eventually the reason oz leaves later and so i think that uh by putting their fears on display in in this episode but also showing how in the wider discussion of what you're talking about uh their personalities that sort of like is is really great seeing it woven throughout the show that the these characters are consistent uh, in in the writing and presentation. Yeah, and I don't even know that it was planned that Willow's magic would go out of control and then later she would like go out of control with magic. Like maybe that was planned, maybe it wasn't. But it's that her character is so consistent through the seasons yes. that on a on a weaker show her fear would have been 
scissors or something. And, yeah. and here it's, it's actually telling about who she is. And they'll explore that later because it is who she is. And um, I mean, at one point I had the really big sads because her big fear was that Oz would leave her, which he later does. And then his big fear was that he was going to turn into a werewolf, which is later his reason for leaving, which like whether or not it was um, constructed because of, you know, actor availability or whatever is a really consistent character choice for him to have that like fear and for that to drive his later like actions. And it all ties into, I know it's like a fun little wink conceit to be like, you know, the demon's really small because we got to wrap the episode up. You know what I mean? Like that's funny and cute, (laughs) but it is also a consistent statement that in the end, your fear is what was stopping you from conquering this thing. And when you get over fear, which is an easier thing than it sounds actually, um, you can move on and it just take it, you know, fear is a really small problem. If you really, in the grander scheme of things, actual problems have to be faced, but fear itself, which is the title, isn't truly that big of an issue. Like you, you just have to pluck up and get your courage together, which is what they all eventually do. Like, you know, Willow's whole like spell out of control thing really overwhelmed her. But as the, as she did later, um, the yellow crayon speech and everything, you know, you, you can get over that like level of fear, which, uh, again, like this might not have been written all intentionally to foreshadow all of this stuff. It's just that the characters are so consistent that it does, you know? Ryan, Ryan. She faced her fear that Oz would leave her and then he left her. So maybe she shouldn't have faced that fear. <laughs> thing. Latoya. So um, two things. One, Ryan, where's your like fucking uh, self-improvement life coach mailing list that I can subscribe to? Um, I have ADHD and I'm a depressive. So this is just a flash in the pan. <laughs> And two, um, yeah, if this were, not to be that person, but if this were an episode of Charmed, like, Phoebe's fears would have been, like, scissors. Like, that would have been her fear. I know. And I hate shitting on Charmed, but I hate shitting on Charmed. And Phoebe's issues. She had a lot to deal with with Cole. I've been (laughs) defending Charmed a lot recently. (laughs) Defending Charmed while I also talk about Charmed's issues is, like, my thing. I'm like, Charmed had these really great things, but because they could never do anything in Shades of Grey, they ruined all of it. I've been talking about that a lot lately. Charmed is, like, um, Charmed is, like, uh, looking into a really fogged up mirror. Like, you know you're there, but it doesn't look right. Like, Charmed (laughs) is, I could talk about Charmed till the end of time. Charmed is a paradox that exists within a paradox. Like, it exists somewhere between um, Vampire Diaries and Buffy in this, like, beautiful, beautiful way that I that I love. <laughs> well, that makes I just seem like Vampire Diaries is, like, really, really low, though. No, I, I actually love Charmed. I love Vampire Diaries. I am an obsessive watcher of all of those. But they, it exists in a spectrum of um, what it was. its goals were mm-hmm. and yeah. what it was trying to deliver on week to week and the level of planning that went into it. And Charmed is just a fascinating show. But a- as a counterpoint to this, yeah, in a weaker show... Um, or a, a slightly less serialized show with like less uh, tight characterization, you would have an episode where Buffy's fear was a dog from when she was a kid that we never heard about again, right. and that dog keeps showing up, and it's a good CGI effect, and then we don't see it again. But in fact, like this show finds a way to manifest fears that are really dark so, like, and true speak to, the to them as characters. Yeah, yeah. I actually right. did just mention a Charmed episode earlier today, which I think <laughs> could work as saying that Charm could do better, which was episode. A brain drain, which is basically Charm's normal again, pretty much. And it kind of deals with, like, Piper's issues with her wanting to have a normal life and all of that. And it does it very, very well. But, you know, let's all just sit on Charmed. <laughs> Welcome to the Charmed cast. I'm Ryan Houlihan, <laughs> your host, with my co-host, Lily Ferguson. <laughs> Hello! But also, uh, one more thing. Vampire Diaries, uh, while I say that Charm, like, had issues understanding Shades of Grey... 
Vampire Diaries maybe understood it too much and it's like everything was shades of gray and everyone it was basically shitty by the end. <laughs> I mean, Vampire Diaries is all about like moral relativism, which is such a weird concept yeah. for a show that also like was like, he's so cute. We have to go hook up with this cute guy. Like, it's very interesting. <laughs> that and Pretty Little Liars is a very interesting moral <laughs> oh, relativism yeah. study. Now, Pretty Little Liars, we could throw that under the bus any time of the week because... That's <laughs> all right, all right. Let's, show. we're circling back to Buffy. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Back to, back to the show at hand. <laughs> so, oh wait, has anyone here, because the episode for this episode, the answer was no. Um, has anyone on today's podcast read the book House of Leaves? I have. Yeah. Michael, I knew I could count on you. I was like, Michael probably has read this book. What's a book? Um, doesn't the like plot of this book this this um episode kind of like seem like House of Leaves but like more horror? Yeah, yeah. although I think of House of Leaves is kind of like extreme horror because it's it's very uh it's very it, well, it's it's horror deconstructed in the way that like it's into your psyche, uh, whereas yeah. this is like horror movie horror. Right. Yeah, that's um, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. But I think that they both work in the in the way like I, I get what you're saying, where it's all about kind of engagement of of human fears, and I think it speaks to uh, the the bigger topic of the series over uh, overall uh, engaging in this smart way. Uh, that that Ryan and Latoya were bringing up is all of Buffy has this this backbone of allegory that really makes it uh, a cut above the rest in genre material. And I do think that even though, yes, we're talking about charms and yes, we're talking about vampire diaries and things after the fact that this conversation about Buffy continues 21 years after it debuted, because all of the allegory built into the show how it engages with fear, how it engages with teenage issues, how it engages with queerness, how it engages with, uh, you know, feminism or or doesn't sometimes like sometimes it does drop the ball is so elegantly woven into these stories of monsters and, and terror that, of course, we're still talking about it because that's what good horror does. And um, I, I think this episode really is a nice showcase of that if you want to show someone how Buffy can engage the social commentary on, on, on this kind of level. It's good because like, who isn't afraid of things? And these are real fears. It's as, as he is, uh, was mentioned, it's not a throwaway monster of the week. It's not the dog from Buffy's childhood. It's the idea that there are fears of abandonment. There are fears of your partner leaving you. There are fears of your friends moving on or like you not being seen. And, it's genius. I mean, it's good. It's good storytelling. And uh, I'll, I know- I'll also, I mean, you're an expert in horror. Um, I are like extremely versed in horror. I, I, I'm not as versed in horror as a genre, but I will say the reason that Buffy and for this particular episode really resonates for me and I think will continue to resonate as like an academic sort of work is that like in Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, which is something I'm super versed in. The great thing that Buffy does is it's both a hero's journey on a season long uh, arc. It's a hero's journey on a series long arc. It is a hero's journey in a pitch, uh, but it's also a hero's journey in each episode. And it really takes the pacing of this episode. Um, Halloween had some pacing issues and um, all the way, which we'll talk about in a minute has some pacing issues, but this episode is very beautifully paced, like masterfully paced um, sort of as a hero's journey out like a model. And I do think that like its ability to both feed into what you're saying about horror as an actual Stephen King style um, discussion of real life issues on top of the fact that it's structured so well. This episode is the best executed of the three Halloween episodes and one of the best executed in the series because it 
truly um, they sat down and they really mapped this out in a way that every character feels in peril at one point. Every character feels like they're going through their own personal journey and struggle. And even when you have the moment where, where, which I mentioned before, but where Willow says, I'm not your sidekick is a beautiful moment in like breaking down the hero's journey of it all, which is like Buffy's supposed to save us all. And that was in Halloween too. Buffy was supposed to save us all. And you don't really get that. Buffy can't save everybody, period. And when she eventually does in fear itself, it's in a funny tongue in cheek sort of way where they've already conquered fear. They all did it themselves. And the, she has to just step on a monster. And like you know Giles I mean? is and, technically the one that saved them, right? Like Giles and Anya. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what what's interesting about this series too, especially the, these episodes, is when you talk to fans, I, I think that season four, despite like obvious episodes like Hush, uh, it, it tends to kind of not get the love that some of the earlier seasons and some of the the content of the later seasons has, because it's it's a transitional. Yeah sequence like the whole college thing but in that way i think that's sort of what makes season four so powerful because when you have left home for the first time whether you go to college or you join the workforce or whatever your path is you still don't know who you are and you're still finding yourself and i think there's so much content in season four that really shows exactly what you're saying it's the hero's journey but it's also the human journey the idea that like these things are things that we all went through when we left mom and dad or we left home or like you know we went to college or we went wherever we moved to the city we you think you have it figured out and you don't and that's that's true it's so smart uh that this happens on an episode by episode basis because then it speaks to the greater whole we do see willow dealing with blossoming personality and then by season five uh or season six you know when she has had her whole moment and and relationship torn away you buy it because we were there well the characters are so strong and it sticks the landing because those characters are so strong that they were able to Put them in the real. I mean, Sabrina the Teenage Witch is one of my favorite shows ever um, <laughs> uh, from a sitcom standpoint, from a kids show standpoint, from everything. I really love Sabrina. It could not stick the landing when they left high school. And uh, it was because they didn't trust their characters and they didn't trust that Hilda and Zelda would be a part of her life naturally or that college could be a transition that 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 the show could make. This is a show where they this is a particular episode where they truly trust these characters, like you said, as a human journey. Honestly, though, even the big bad of season four is indicative of this story. It's it's a Frankenstein monster. The idea that like pieces of of, of something were put together to make a whole. These are the, they're finding their pieces and putting their whole together. And there's that like parallel line that's running throughout the season. Of course, Adam is like a villain, and like you know they're finding themselves in a positive way. But that's what horror does. It, it places the two sides of the coin of otherness and 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 butts them ahead up, up against each other. This is such a central part of what like what we're talking. What you just said is what we're really talking about with season four because its finale is not defeating Adam. Its finale is not about the initiative. Its finale is not about college. Its finale is nightmares and. This is a version, uh, a small, a slightly smaller version of that, which is what they're really driving home with this season is that these people and their fears are consistent and that they're going to continue having to live with who they are and the world that they live in and the issues that they're struggling with. And that's what gives us season five. Yeah, and absolutely. and season five is a masterpiece. So And here I thought the finale was about death of a salesman. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, it was about cheese for a very long time. <laughs> um, so real quick, let's wrap up the end of this episode. Um, I love Anya and Giles. I mean, I I already mentioned, I love a team up where Giles has to be like with someone that he wouldn't normally be with. Um, And especially the fact that Anya's in this absurd bunny costume for like the entirety of it. Um, He is looking good with that chainsaw. You are right, Ryan. 
Um, Looking good. And Body I lo- be banging. <laughs> <laughs> and I love uh, Buffy walking up to Xander after like not being able to see him for most of the episode. And he's like mumbling to himself. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, she's over it. She's done. Um, then we had Gaknar who, Ryan, I feel like, or Michael, I feel like you might agree. It's like Hellraiser inspired right? Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's all really funny. I love Buffy jumping to punch the symbol before Giles finishes, um, and then just, like, stomping the monster. Like, I love the, the, the even the double reveal at the real, at the end end when he's like, I should have translated the text. <laughs> it's said actual size. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so we get the end of the wrap-up you know, I like Xander making fun of it. And then they're like, don't do that. And he's like, why can it hurt me? And he's like, no, it's just, what is he, a tasteless tacky. or whatever? Yeah, tacky. <laughs> and then them sitting in Giles' apartment and he's like, that's your costume. And she's like, bunnies frightened me. Um, Which, like you said, is like the, it's a cool thing that like, a, a silly throwaway thing that they keep there for Anya's character, which I love. Um, Yeah, I don't know. And then I, this episode really is great. Uh, I don't I know. I find this episode also, like, it genuinely frightens me at times. Like, when wannabe Dennis Reynolds, like, has his broken neck and he's like a zombie. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this at all. Uh, yeah. 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 They don't really, like, address the, like, the fact that, like, every college, most of the college kids were, like, brutally murdered in that house. <laughs> most yeah. of the college kids in Sunnydale, period. Like, after the course <laughs> of, like, Several seasons, or even think of like all the way in season seven and selfless. Like, who is going to live in a frat house that many years on? Just all the dead bodies of boys. I thought that too, and then I realized like that's how Sunnydale College or University or whatever it is. Um, that's how they it, uh, it it has such a huge endowment is that so many freshmen die that they're just getting <laughs> so much tuition money by accepting new students that um that's I, the I reason- actually think like. That's our solution to financial like aid problems in this country. <laughs> That's the well, reason why University of California allows it to be one of their schools. Because, like, <laughs> just making that bank. Making that bank. Well, and speaking of dead boys, what a great transition to Ugh. episode uh, uh, episode six of season six. <laughs> I was going to say both of them are six. That's what was throwing me. Um, and that this is all the way. Uh, yes. And it is when it is an episode where where Don sneaks away to hang out with some jocks who, as I inferred by my little introduction, are vampires. Um, and what I do, I, I think of the three Halloween specials, this is definitely the weakest. But as seems to be tradition with the Halloween specials, uh, and I'm just I'm just freely referring to them as Halloween specials as if they're not just regular episodes because as I love if Halloween. They were like hosted, hosted by the cast, like on this Halloween special. <laughs> yeah, Vincent Price presents Buffy the Vampire Star. And uh, I I think that with each of them, as we said, like each of these uh, Halloween episodes has laid groundwork that came back. The idea that they uh, utilized uh, things that happened in Halloween all throughout the series. The fears that were manifested in fear itself ended up coming true or coming back later. This episode kind of lays groundwork because we have uh, Xander and Anya getting engaged. Uh, There's also, this is one of the first episodes where Tara really kind of lays down the law with Willow against using magic for trivial things, which we know, of course, 
Willow increasingly abuses and abuses and abuses up until uh, the major end sequence of season six. It's sort of a weird throwback episode, too, because in the way that season seven had some episodes where like we were back in the high school and we were going to deal with high school things, even though they never really carried through on that promise. This is sort of like this episode could have happened to Cordelia in season two. You know what I mean? Like this could have been a high school like like a little high school episode uh, for them. I know it was probably because they were leading up to once more with feeling that they were like, we're going to focus on Dawn, but it it, it is sort of a a good moment because Xander is dealing with such adult stuff. Willow and Tara are dealing with adult stuff. Even Giles is sort of laying down. I mean, that one scene, I mean, uh, Xander and Anya just for context uh, announce their engagement to everybody during a Halloween sale at the magic box. Then they have a little Halloween party slash engagement party. And at one point, Giles says to Xander, like, are you going to move in together? Are you going to get cars? What about kids? You should, I should worry about all this stuff. Being the worst dad. <laughs> I was so excited for him to be supportive dad to Xander. And then he does this. Got the chainsaw back. <laughs> now, speaking of chainsaws and costumes, I will say, and I'm about to give a Xander compliment because it happens rarely. Uh, of all of Xander's Halloween costumes, I love his costume in this episode the most, where he's dressed as the pirate, mostly because I really like to believe it is foreshadowing for when he actually gets his eye gouged out later. Yeah. Uh, also, he's dressing like Larry, his, his oh, one yeah. true character. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. I like. I already forgot about that. Those are the only three episodes we had to discuss, and I already forgot. Yeah, Giles is such a terrible dad to Xander. I'm just like, just go be a dad to Anya. You like her better anyway. Just go do it. <laughs> <laughs> at least that would have been sweet also can we talk about how good Anya looks as one of oh, Charlie's body be banging. Oh, <laughs> body be banging. Charlie's one true angel I was like this is really and her hair was perfect looks great. I needed to catch up quickly to do this podcast and I'm like if this is the only scene I see I am fine with that <laughs> but I this, love Anya so much she's my favorite Scooby she always has been This, I mean this is definitely the lesser Halloween episode. And this is also like watching it for this podcast. I was like, oh, I really don't watch this episode that much. Uh, I was telling you, I was reminded, oh, this episode is really good, except for the Dawn Halloween stuff. And it's just like they uh, really sideline the rest of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Right. You were mentioning how, you know, uh, they're doing this episode like it seems like it could have been an episode back in the day. And that's, I feel like, I feel bad for the Dawn character in that way because they'll give her these plots, they'll be like throwbacks to those. But the rest of the audience and these the characters who we would have associated with that, they've moved on. They've grown up. So we, w- we don't want to deal with this high school nonsense, especially when it's like with two guys who cannot act and Amber Tamblin. Amber Tamblin is wearing jeans. Um, I don't know if they were the jeans, but I'm very excited <laughs> that this Wait, might be part of the sisterhood of the, the Traveling Kids universe. Are, are we like poised for Joan of Arcadia around this time? Like, is she like a season <laughs> away two, for that about to happen? two years before that. That was 03. This is 01. Wow. I have to say, I agree with everyone that this is the weakest of the Halloween specials, but it does, as far as Buffy moments that are like throwback in a nice way to earlier seasons, I love the moment where Buffy tracks Dawn down and they start arguing in front of these like hooligan vampires. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. I actually transcribed the entire, um, <laughs> like, I just loved it so much. I mean, even at the point where she was, they're like, excuse me, can we fight now? And she's like, did anyone just come here to make out? It's such a beautiful illustration of like Buffy truly knows what it is to be a teenager at this time. <laughs> exactly. And that to me is like kind of the heart of this episode. I think that like the fun thing, uh, you know, obviously we spent a lot of time on Halloween and then we got very 
discussion heavy in in a more metaphysical sense with fear itself this is the one where it's like we can all kind of agree that it's a halloween episode but it's not really a halloween episode but like the moments where it kind of shines it shines for very buffy reasons if that makes sense like and i think that this is one of them like the idea that like buffy kind of has the moment where you're right she understands teenagers because i think the last time buffy really felt like herself before she was burdened with this kind of like righteous hero's journey was as a teenager so there's that kind of arrested development that always kind of carries through with her as well and we get to see these moments uh with dawn i don't know i I don't love this episode, but I do like that. Like to me, that 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 to me felt like a, a it would have been a great season one moment that just happens to be in season six. I yes. do have a question though. When did these boys become vampires, and do they still go to class? And how? <laughs> I don't have the answer. I think to they that. <laughs> they definitely don't go to class because she was like, "I've seen you at parties," which means like he has not been in class for a while. But he's wearing. I don't a know who jacket. made them. I don't know who made them vampires. I'm gonna guess Harmony. I'm gonna also include. Anya at the beginning of the episode, which is my favorite part because the whole gang is involved. We get that amazing line about finding out that Giles cleans his glasses because he doesn't want to see what they do. (laughs) Um, I will say Anya's interest in capitalism is obviously a leftover demonic trait. I think Anya maybe voted for Trump. I don't know if that's true. I know I worry, Um, but Harmony definitely voted for Trump. She's dead, but okay. Well, no, there's there's abso- there's absolutely no way I'm going to actually stand up for my girl here. There's no way Anya would have voted for Trump despite her interest in long her long-standing interest in capitalism that is, runs throughout the series because Anya's roots as a vengeance demon are all yes. about oh, Yeah. She would uh, have him. Yeah. She has to stand up for for the wronged women and like who has fucking oh. wronged more women <laughs> than that piece of shit. So if anything, DeHoffrin, if you're listening to Slayerfest 98, do something do solid and get some people to vote at least. Yeah, that opening is great, obviously, for Body Be Banging Anya. Uh, beans from Even Stevens giving Xander shit. Um, Wait, what? Also, the little girl witch. The little oh, girl yeah. witch is the little so girl cute. Witch. Oh, the little boy firefighter is Beans from Even Stevens. I didn't know that. How did you not know Beans? But also... Because I am um, of a certain ter- age. <laughs> I'm sorry. Tara making a dick joke, which is amazing. Timber me, Timbers. <laughs> not um, really much for the Timber. Also, like, Tara, oh my God. Um, Spike having an appointment to watch a Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin yeah. is a beautiful moment. Also, um, Ryan, I don't know if this is already in your notes, but speaking of body be banging, when Amber Tamblin stood up from that couch and I saw her midriff, I was like, good for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, body was banging. Wait, wait, I did some research, please, Ian. I did a little research about some of these episodes, and one of them, uh, they did a Halloween breakdown of the Buffy uh, Halloween episodes, and Den of Geek literally says, plus... Seeing Amber Tamlin's guest starring as Don's midriff-bearing friend is kind of fun. That midriff, it's like the midriff that launched a thousand ships. That this is the remarked upon moment of the episode. Well, like, I mean, it's just like very, like, I was like, oh, like, I just, that's my, my go-to is like, good for you. Like, you look great. I'm, I'm glad for you. Like, Although Tara does have a line where Willow says something about infested roots. And she was like, are you trying to turn me on? And I was like, infested roots? Are you on? <laughs> look, in my notes, it does say, I would let the vampire twink eat me. Because Dawn at one point, like, lets him, almost lets him go for it. And I was like... 
good for you, Don. You have terrible parental figures that is highlighted heavily in this episode. Everyone who was ever a parent to Don has neglected or mistreated her. (laughs) Or died. Um, And you know what? Same. And I also would let a vampire drink eat me in that situation. (laughs) I mean, and also... Didn't get any of, like, the hot WB boys. She got, like, budget UPN boys. They could have been hotter. Come on. I don't have the budget for hot WB boys either. I (laughs) Like, years before the term fangbanger was in our lexicon, the Summers ladies were doing their utmost best. Buff was doing the utmost best. And again, Dawn was not allowed to do the utmost best because she got the budget UPS guy. (laughs) When Willow and Tara are looking for Dawn and they're in the bronze, I really like the, like, passing, like, uh, Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker costumes. And Willow's like, do they know their brother and sister? (laughs) That was fun. So my biggest issue with this episode, and I, I love Buffy for this, but for this episode... There's a little too much, like, individual plot lines that have nothing to do with the episode going on. Um, uh, and there's not, like, a there's not quite a plot of the episode. Like, the plot is Dawn. I mean, the plot is essentially, like, Buffy needs to get a family cell phone plan at this point and just <laughs> give everybody fucking cell phones. That's what the plot is. She needs to get her one of those Verizon phones where you can see where your kid is on oh. GPS at all times. Um, I, I will also want to point out two things. One... Making party decorations magically, uh, we're not in the Charmed universe where personal gain is a problem. I don't think that's that big of a deal. Tara definitely needed to have a talk about it. It is that big of a deal. Woo has a problem, Uh, as we we learned every episode this season. Right, but I think this isn't, like, for me, I agree with you, Ryan. Like, this felt like, why are we, like, splitting hairs over party decorations? It's fine. It definitely crosses the line later. I just don't think that party decorations, in the scheme of things, doesn't seem that different than floating a pencil to me. Yes. I don't know. It's probably like when you know somebody who uh, shouldn't be doing something. It's like if I was just like, I'm not drinking, but like maybe I'll I'll have this shot of tequila. And we've already seen Willow. This is season six. In season five, she kind of nudged Dawn to like use the resurrection spell and forever. Like we have seen this progressive thing. So like the party decoration, no, is not a big deal if you are not a habitual abuser. But like this is where it's kind of the issue. She's um she's on her way, as we know by the end of the episode. As you're saying, it's like Tara had noticed she'd been drinking a little so much, and maybe she talked about her with him. Like it's fine, but now Tara uh, Will's like, oh, it's a party. Of course I can drink. And Tara's like, again. Maybe don't. It's one of those things. I feel like maybe it, it to me what it rang true for was like a pick your battles thing, which was like you're not going to break through to them over party decorations, but you will when it comes to shifting people into an alternate dimension to like right. see where Dawn is. Like that's not a great idea. Like that's effectively <laughs> a bad idea. Um, but I will say for someone addicted to magical like solutions to things, she should have had a magical GPS on Dawn. Like that was like the first thing we should have made Willow right. figure out how to do. <laughs> I'm surprised Buffy didn't go for like the magical Ojack, honestly. Right. And like, like, I know that like in theory, if you're talking about like, oh, c- controlling where your sister is or like being aware of them, like as out of context, that would be like, oh, that's too much. But like in the context of living on the Hellmouth, where like your sister's constantly in peril and being kidnapped, that kind of makes a lot of sense, right? I would definitely do that to my kids, and mm-hmm. I don't live on a Hellmouth. Watching uh, this episode, just di- divorced from the rest of the season, and seeing the previous leads, and watching Buffy just get so upset with Dawn for doing research, it's like, what the hell? Why? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, let Dawn do research. That way she's not a fucking klepto. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. That klepto stuff was tough to watch because, like, been there, girl, as a teenager, like, swiping stuff for attention or, like, like a, a serotonin <laughs> kick was tough. And all I could think, honestly, this whole time, and I wrote it in my notes a hundred times. Like, I think I wrote this down. Let me see. 
eight times. Don needs therapy. Is there a therapy demon? Like we need <laughs> to get Don into some kind of intensive situation. She was attempted rape, which by the way, the like, as if you weren't asking for it moment was very me too, very relevant. We stand, but like, it was tough. Like Dawn has been through the ringer over and over and over again. And like, we need to get her into a serious situation where she's oh. truly getting help. And <laughs> Buffy being her guidance counselor is not the solution. Covering Riverdale these days, every other scene, I'm just like, get them therapy. <laughs> Archie needs therapy, not prison. You know what though? Like give me the web series spinoff of Dawn just going to therapy. I know we already discussed the fight, which I I think is the best part of the episode. It's funny seeing Spike say, it's Halloween, you nit, as if he wasn't in season two, also out on Halloween. Buffy decapitating a vampire with a shut door seems impractical even for the Buffyverse. It's very powerful. She hugged Xander and it hurt him a lot. I mean, but like a car door, like I just feel like it would maybe mush the face, but it wouldn't like clean cut a head off i mean i remember my hand getting like smashed in a car door like in high school and that hurt a lot so if buffy is doing it to a head yeah i feel like and buffy's power levels definitely fluctuate fluctuate and it makes for a good effect so i'm willing to look the other way the one effect i actually hated was when dawn staked the vampire uh when he goes in to kiss her and she stakes him she would have been covered in dust and that would have been really fun if she had had like dust in her mouth we didn't even talk about the old man who the four teenagers, Amber Tamlin, Ugh. Dawn, and um, the UPN boys, go in to see this old man who's like an old toy maker. Um, first off, this man had it coming because he was definitely a pedophile. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> oh, yes, I just, you know what? I'll throw in allegedly so he doesn't sue me, but he was absolutely a pedophile. <laughs> oh, and his, fine. <laughs> he was cooking things in his kitchen while he was out buying apples or whatever. Like, he was going to burn his house down either way. Like, honestly, like, if, <laughs> if a vampire gets a good hit off of him and doesn't kill someone else, fine. That man had to die he kept saying things like daddy's got a little treat like let i wrote in my notes let him die several times like this man has to go donate his toys to like the south no not the salvation army uh because they're homophobic donate his toys to goodwill or like give his toys on craigslist and make some money and donate it or something it's more helpful to him to the community than this pedophile he's a pedophile they should have made it that He's also, like, fine, they can, if the vampires are going to feed on him, he can't be a demon. So sure, make him a human, but, like, make him, like, the Halloween monster, serial killer, whatever. Like, maybe he's, like, he murders teens. Fine. He kept being like, can Sally come in and help me? And, like, the guy was like, no, I will. And he, the, the dejected look on his face, I was like, Kevin Spacey, you need to die. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Lord. <sighs> what anyway, an episode. Welcome to the Charmed cast with Ryan and Latoya. <laughs> Uh, Michael, I think we'll just see ourselves out. <laughs> I think I think with that, we'll uh, get to the end. Um, Michael, what's your favorite costume of all the costumes? Of all the costumes? It's got to be Anya as a bunny, right? Like, it's so amazing. It, it's so iconic. They even made a toy of it. Also, it just kind of, like, speaks to why I like Anya. She's so bizarre and literal and uh, yet so earnest. I think there's something great about it. Ryan? Mm-hmm. Favorite costume? My favorite costume is the lobster and birthday present that are fighting in Willow's hallway, <laughs> inexplicably. I think that both of those people really committed to Halloween. Uh, I also like thinking that they were a couple's costume and that they were calling themselves Santa Claus. That's it. Oh, all right. All right. Uh, Latoya? <laughs> I am going to say Charlie's Angel with Anya just for my brand and because I feel like I might have had another another sexual awakening seeing it today. I am a Kinsey six and I also felt some <laughs> stuff about Anya dressed as a special kind of angel called the Charlie. And then like, 
second place would go to Willow for the same reasons, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, my favorite's Bunny Anya, but then, like, a, a very second place is Anya as a Charlie's Angels. So we'll grade the episodes, and then I guess, I think we all have the same ranking. Um, but, uh, Latoya, what do you rank Halloween? What, what grade do you give Halloween? I'm going to give it, uh, I was going to say B+, but I just keep thinking about Cordelia. You're like a big cat. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give it an A-. Okay. Michael? I'm going to go with an A- minus as well. I do think for uh, Cordelia reasons, but also because it did become an early foundational episode for themes that return throughout the, se- the series, which uh, not all of the early episodes do because the show was still finding itself. So it was ni- it's nice to see something that started laying mythology down that then, you know, took us through the next five years, six years of the show. Ryan? Um, I'm going to be a monster of the week and say that I also felt like there is, it's an A-plus idea with B-minus execution, but I'm going to round down to be a real asshole and give it a B-plus because I feel like it's all there, uh, but the execution isn't amazing, and I, um, I, I don't care for um, the way that it was paced. I don't care for a lot of the—I I hate to say this, but a lot of the areas left unexplored in the episode that would have been really fun, and we, we spent a lot of time at the top, like a solid 20 minutes, setting up something that was fun to do as opposed to just doing it. We could have just started right in the middle. Um, so I give it a B plus, uh, but it is one of my favorite episodes, and that so objectively a B plus, but— I also love it. Fair. Yeah, I give it a B plus. Uh, Honestly, same reasons as you, Ryan. So copy paste what Ryan said for me. Um, So I guess we will go on to grade uh, Fear itself. Latoya? I will give that an A. I I feel like that's necessary. All right, Michael? This is an A plus. It highlights exactly what Buffy is strongest at doing. It brings allegory to the genre elements of the show. And Ryan? I will give it an A so that I have space to put once more with feeling and hush and a few other episodes on the bell curve of an A plus. But it is a perfect episode of television. If someone wanted to get into Buffy, it's a great episode to throw in their laps. It is a wonderful episode filled with both little moments that become huge things in the show and episode specific moments that make the episode stand alone, uh, which most shows would never be able to pull off, let alone regularly. Uh, I love it. So it's a solid A, but I can't give it an A plus because I believe in the bell curve. <laughs> and once again, <laughs> I also, I give it, I give it an A. All right, quick before we end, uh, all the way, Ryan, what do you grade all the way? I'm giving all the way, um, uh, Somewhere between a C plus and a B minus. Uh, there is wonderful stuff in there, and it is completely sidelined into what could be condensed into seven minutes of television. <laughs> um, it's got beautiful little moments, uh, great little lines, but beautiful the, gowns. Um, in beautiful gowns, wonderful <laughs> gowns, but she doesn't have the range. Um, <laughs> Dawn is an okay character who needs support, and she's not a main character. She's a little too annoying. Uh, and without a larger Scooby gang that is interesting, as much as I love Amber Tamblin, she was given nothing to do. Um, uh, most of the, the main A story of that episode really falls flat. So I, I guess I'm going to give it a C plus, but it could get a B minus if we were given just a few more Anya moments. All right. Latoya? Yeah, I'm going to give it a C because, again, it's one of those things where uh, I just I feel bad for Donna as a character because she, she should have something better to work with, but they just kind of do like retreats of things that the old Scoobies would have done and it, it does not work nearly as well. All right, Michael? Yeah, this is definitely a C for me. I don't think that it's uh, terrible. But I think it, it falls right in the middle. Yeah, same. I I also give it a C. 
I actually thought I was going to be the harshest grader of that episode, but apparently not. Yeah, that's our uh, our Halloween episode. I will say on behalf of myself, I am very happy that I got to guest host this week and come and join the spookiness. Thank you, Ian, for having me. Uh, thank you to Latoya and Ryan for joining us for this discussion. Often chaotic, but always informative. Uh, it was a gr- it was a great time. I'll say this: body be banging. The entire <laughs> cast at some point in this had a banging body, and this fucking like I give it up. I give it up to bodies who are banging. Thank you guys for listening. So if you want to follow SlayerFest98, we are at SlayerFestX98 on Twitter. You can find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And if you like us, feel free to rate rate us and subscribe to us. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at IanXCarlos. Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Ryan Houlihan on Twitter and Instagram. I am having a Sabrina-themed um, Halloween show with queer horror stories uh, being told in Brooklyn at Tilt. Uh, you can find all the information for that at my Twitter and my Instagram, where I post about Real Housewives and my depression. I also have a podcast with The Outline called Tomorrow with uh, my friend Joshua Topolsky, where we talk about current events, um, and we talk about them through the lens of queerness and people of color, and we have on some amazing guests in the media. Mostly we talk about how the media talks about itself it's way more fun than it sounds so you can find that um where you found this podcast (laughs) and latoya where can people find you on the internet Uh, you can find me on the internet at twitter uh where you will see my many tweets about how blind spot is the procedural that fucks um also i (laughs) yes exactly uh, I've also, by the time this drops, uh, uh, my review for Sabrina, the, the new TV series on Netflix, will have dropped too for Uproxx, I'm sure. And I mean, I guess technically, if you want to cruise Amazon, you can pre-order my book on women's wrestling, an encyclopedia of women's wrestling, which yes. comes out in May. So, yes. Um, and Michael, where can people find you and your podcast? You can find me on Twitter at Michael Verratti. That's V as in Victor, A-R-R-A-T-I. My podcast is Dead for Filth, the podcast for all things queer, horror, and beyond. We drop every Friday. Uh, We have a Twitter account at Dead for Filth. Uh, You can listen to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are sold. I also weekly am doing a show on camera host uh, uh, called History of Fright with Skybound, creators of The Walking Dead, where I give you spooky facts weekly. So check that out on Gamma Ray TV. Uh, And I'm always lurking around with your queer spooky goodness. So just find me. I also have a podcast with The Outline called Tomorrow with uh, my friend Joshua Topolsky, where we talk about current events um, and we talk about them through the lens of queerness and people of color. And we have on some amazing guests in the media. Mostly we talk about how the media talks about itself. It's way more fun than it sounds. So you can find that um, where you found this podcast. Well, happy Halloween. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Verratti, yours always in glam and gore. Good night and good luck. Happy Halloween.